leading a startup team, whether you're delivering a sugar rush, stocking coffee, or getting a regular delivery of snacks, Office Depot has solutions that fit every startup culture, from getting those first business cards and stationery to ordering fleece pullovers with your new logo. To learn how Office Depot and the California Technology Council have partnered to bring you savings on all of these startup essentials and more, go to californiatechnology.org forward slash member benefits. I'm Daniel Levine, and this is the Bio Report. In the realm of mental health, a lack of biologic measures for diagnosing and treating patients has at times made this an area where doctors' subjective decisions can play a disproportionate role. eHave is seeking to improve diagnosis and treatment of patients with its data-rich management, assessment, and remediation tools that sit on its cloud-based software platform. The company's initial product focuses on ADHD, although it plans to roll out other applications in the future. We spoke to Pratik Dravidi, CEO of eHave, about its platform, the problems the company is trying to address, and how digital technologies are changing the way doctors diagnose, treat, and interact with patients. Tik, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. We're going to talk about your company, eHave, how it's trying to improve the way ADHD patients are diagnosed, treated, and engaged. Let's start with ADHD itself, though. What is it, and how common is it, and how is it treated today? Well, ADHD um, or, or ADD, both of those conditions, seem to be uh, commonly diagnosed, now, whether we see 10 million uh, children in the United States diagnosed with the disease every year, and it's it gets diagnosed from the school, and it's often the schools that are finding behavior issues and calling the parents and having the parents encouraged to seek some sort of diagnosis and and treatment. And usually, what happens is that the parents take their child to their family doctor or the pediatrician, and the pediatrician will. Uh, potentially ask them to go see a psychologist or psychiatrist or social worker. And from there, they'll, they'll have a variety of different tests. Um, and these are all uh, psychoanalytical tests where they will try to determine how the child is doing from a psychological and educational perspective. And uh, many of these tests are done via surveys that have normative data. And there are surveys that the parents will take giving the history of, of, of what happened from the, their child from childbirth forward, as well as behavior at home, and also a survey for the teachers in the school for them to describe what they're seeing in the classroom, and then a battery of tests that, they, that the psychologist or clinician will have with the child themselves. And it's, it's a combination of all of these tests that gives psychologists or psychiatrists an idea of what's happening with, with the child and give them a score of where they are in the spectrum. 
meaning they might have 10 or 12 different tests. They look at all the scores together, and they try to determine how does this child uh, compare to other children. And based on that, they give a diagnosis. And from that diagnosis, they'll make a recommendation back to the family doctor or to uh, the school with accommodations that can be met in the classroom to say, here's how we can help this child flourish. What we find is this is a this becomes a really cumbersome process, but that's how it's done today. It's done like that throughout the uh, throughout North America and Western Europe, and it's a very common, commonly placed um, uh, protocol that's used for diagnosis and treatment. And one of the challenges we we have uh, with it, and why we pay attention to it, is it's easy to misdiagnose children or and give them medications or accommodations when they don't really need them. Something that we're we're working towards fixing. How difficult is it to diagnose, and how subjective is the diagnosis? Uh, there, the difficulty is based on, you know, the what's the severity of the condition with the child. So if there is something that's very clear happening, if they're on, when we talk about spectrum, if they are very high on spectrum of ADHD or ADD, uh, it's very clear that they have the condition. But often it's not just one thing. It's not just ADHD. They might have other other psychological problems that they're facing. So one of the challenges isn't just how severe it is, but is there any other condition, underlying conditions? So when we when we talk to clinicians about this, they have a big, a large battery of tests because they're trying to determine what's the best way of, of preparing a diagnosis. And because the diagnosis is a source of multiple tests and they bring them together, often it's difficult for a clinician to even determine where exactly they should face a child from a diagnosis perspective, whether it's severe or not, um, whether they, they require medication or not. All of that is in is up to the clinician to decide. There is no hard and fast rules for them. It's quite subjective, and, and, and that's something that uh, we feel concerns not just the clinicians but also the parents of these children who really want to know it's just like any other condition or, or they take their children to the doctor for. Either you have something or you, you don't, and here's how I can treat it. And that's something that we find the market is looking for more objectivity. Well, let's say you have a diagnosis. What are the challenges the clinician and patients face as they seek to treat, manage, and, and monitor the condition? The, when, once a diagnosis in, is made, uh, what happens is that the first thing from a medication perspective, we have to figure out the right medication and the right dosing to put the child on. And that is difficult on its own. It's not like having a headache and you say, take a Tylenol and you'll feel hopefully feel better. This is something that you're taking every day for a long time. And having the right dose is really important because you don't want to over-medicate. Or if you don't take enough, you're under-medicating. It's not having the right impact. And that does take its time with, with the family doctor, choosing the right medication and monitoring to make sure the behavior is appropriate. Appropriate meaning it's not um, if the child is still behaving as, you, as, as themselves and their behavior changes are, are what they, uh, everybody's goal is. But also they want to make sure that the, uh, the child is functioning as socially in the home and at school. And these things are hard to do and this takes time. One of the challenges is that you don't always know how the child's doing because you might have an appointment that says, let's try this dose for a month and come back and let me know how it's going. 
And because of that, you don't have any data or any information that's happening throughout the week every day. A lot of this gets forgotten. And by the time the next month rolls around, the parent and the patient and the child are trying to remember what's happened. There might have been some good days, some bad days. It's very difficult for them to really describe what's happening. That's on the medication side. And when we look, when we look at accommodations at school, which is changing the way that the teachers interact or how they're teaching, these things are, these things are ideas that, that the, the clinicians have in terms of helping the, helping the child. It could be certain things like giving them a little bit extra time during a test or reminding them about certain, uh, certain types of expectations they have on their behavior, little, little clues. Or making sure they're allowed to stand up and walk around in the middle of, of a, of a, of class time because they're a kinesthetic learner and they need to get the physical energy out. And a lot of these things are difficult to implement consistently. But when, when they are implemented, it's very hard for the clinician to get any feedback on how it's going. And often what happens is the clinician will write out all of these accommodations or a recommendation for, a, for a, a treatment with, with a drug and they get no feedback at all. And you can actually ask a lot of clinicians, well, how is my son doing three months later? And they won't, they won't even know unless the parent is the one telling them or the teacher is the one telling them. And there's no rules on how they get that feedback. Where does eHave fit into the continuum from diagnosis to treatment? How, how does the platform change the way doctors diagnose and manage patients? So at eHave, what we've done is we've started looking at all the different assessment tools, all the documentation, and everything that happens during the assessment, the diagnosis, planning for the treatment, and gathering outcomes. And we, we capture that data in a central place, all, ob all with structured data so we can look at it object uh, objectively so we can determine what's happening to the patient with a comprehensive view, meaning we don't wait to see, you know, send a paper survey to a teacher and wait for them to mail it back. Or if they haven't done the survey, we don't just you know, wait till a call is made. We actually automatically notify them that, you know, you need to fill the survey out. We, we have tools that we built ourselves or that we partner with for children to actually fill out assessments or, or even play games at home to let us understand how they're doing. So rather than waiting a month for the uh, next appointment, we're getting that feedback immediately as the child is progressing. Our goal is to participate in the child's care by being a part of, by giving the patient, the children, the parent, and the clinician's tools that can be used every day and integrated into the daily fabric of, of the child's life. And that way, it's being, a, through, uh, being part of the entire patient journey rather than just at the beginning or just at the point of, um, at any point of interaction. Does the eHave platform integrate with the electronic health record? The eHave platform can integrate with the electronic uh, health record through standard mechanisms. We are not um, replacing the health record. The health record has specific purposes. And our integration is to get data from the health record that's important to us, which is usually assessments um, and, and clinical notes. And we can also send results of the tests and assessments that we have from our own assets or from our partners back into the health record. We work, at, we work in concert with the health record, not as a replacement of it. So you talked a little bit about the games and such, but from a patient point of view, how does this change the role of the patient in their own treatment? And 
And how does it change their engagement and compliance? The, the way, because we're working with children, the way we've looked at it is to um, determine, well, what's the best way of getting a child to engage? Um, children, you know, find surveys or four-hour sessions in a clinician very tiring, very taxing, and sometimes very boring. And finding a consistent way to engage children is difficult. One way we, we have decided to look at it is using games. And, and, and we have two types of games, some, some that do assessments, let us know how a child's doing, and another type of a set of games that does remediation or a therapeutic to help them. So with the assessments, what we're able to determine is how a child's doing, and we have two games, how the child's doing with executive functions for working memory and for inhibitory control. And by playing a game for 15 minutes, we're able to do a clinical-grade measurement of how a child's doing. And the measurement is so accurate that a, a clinician can use that as a guide, as guidance on how to help their patients in terms of here's where they are today and what they should do next. Think of it like uh, somebody with diabetes with a glucometer. You measure your blood every day to see how you're doing. Our games are built so we can do an assessment every day if we, if we want to to see how the child's doing. There's actually a brief video on your on your website that that shows a traditional assessment tool and the, the mega team assessment tool, which it's almost funny to watch. And, and I'm wondering if you can describe that difference to the listeners. Well, there's the traditional tool that's used in clinic is uh, like an arrow or a stop sign sometimes uh, comes up. And you look to see a very, it's, it's a black screen with one single white arrow um, that you wait till that, that arrow appears and you hit a button. And you have to play that for 20 minutes. And, and it's your response to that that is, uh, that is measuring how well you're doing. Now, the challenge with that is that children find that to be very boring and they're not engaged in it. So they actually don't know if they're even paying attention to the game or to, to that uh, tool. But we've done the exact same uh, idea when it comes to, we take the exact same idea when it comes in terms of responding to a stimulus, but we do it with a uh, game with an action hero who has to save the planet from aliens coming. Same idea of saying, look, wait until you see something and press a button, but rather than a black screen with a white arrow, we have a very colorful screen where the child has to accomplish something. And by doing so, we're getting the exact same measurement. What have you done to validate the approach and what have you found? For the assessments, we were able to, we ran trials and we were able to validate that our video game assessments are, give us identical results to those kind of tests. That same, that same traditional tool with the black screen, we are equivalent to those. And those tests have been around and proven for, for many years and we're able to say that we have the same results. In fact, we can all, we can even uh, say that ours is more engaging and we can trust our results more because we know the child is more engaged. For remediation and, and the therapeutic, we're still going to randomize control trials with, with uh, those games where we are, are looking to see if by playing our remediation game, is a child getting better with their inhibitory control and working memory. eHave envisions using its, its platform across a range of mental health conditions. What's the range of things you think this might be applicable to and, and why begin with ADHD? 
our, we believe that our platform and our approach is applicable to a wide variety of diseases, including um, not just ADHD and ADD, but uh, OCD, uh, anxiety, depression, PTSD. You know, a lot of these uh, diseases that we know we can detect with neurofeedback. And the reason we say that is the, the method of, of diagnosis and treatment and outcome monitoring is, same, is the same across all of these conditions. And so by starting with a single disease, we, we want to uh, create our platform, get it into market, and start proving out that by bringing all the data together, we'll, we are going to be able to help the clinicians, the patients, the researchers, the pharmaceuticals, and, and insurance companies. The reason we began with ADHD is for two reasons. One is that it's a prevalent disease that impacts so many people, and we have a worried set of parents who are who are so receptive to any help they can get in helping their children. And by engaging in this disease, we are able to talk to many clinicians and many parents and many patients to be able to say, this is something that we think we can help with. And, and that gives us great engagement in terms of being able to develop a platform. And the second reason we chose ADHD is that it's, from a pharmaceutical and insurance perspective, there's a lot of uh, skepticism on whether it's an overdiagnosed disease or not. And we want to be able to provide objective data to, uh, to the insurance providers and all the, the clinician communities to say this is how we can tell whether the disease is properly being diagnosed or not. And we believe our data will be able to show that. Is there something that makes the condition particularly well suited to the eHave platform? With ADHD, because children are doing a lot of um, work with psychologists and uh, psychiatrists and social workers, there's a lot of, of survey work, a lot of written forms, a lot of a broad base of different assessments that are being done, and the eHave platform does a great job of bringing all that data together. So any of the mental conditions uh, that where this is happening, we can provide immediate benefits because we are, we're taking all these paper-based assessment tools and records and bringing them back into one place and giving them in a digital form at the fingertips of the, of the clinicians, and that's where we believe adoption will be strong. And all the other conditions I, I just mentioned are, have similar attributes. Well, what's the plan for introducing new conditions on the platform? We are right now uh, looking to introduce PTSD in a trial, uh, which is something that is uh, we will be starting in, the, in January, February of 2017. And then after that, we will be expanding to depression and anxiety into the second quarter of 2017. Our goal is to go one condition at a time, prove the platform out, and start broadening it to generalize it. And we are working to find the partners who are going to work with us to get this um, important work done. Do you think this points to broader trends with harnessing this type of digital health technology to change the way doctors diagnose, treat, and interact with patients? Um, I believe that this is, uh, this is the trend going to be, that's right, this is the trend that we're going to see for anything in brain health. Now, brain health is the, is the last frontier, in my opinion, and what we're seeing is uh, a movement to start treating anything happening with the mind like we would with any other disease with 
clear, objective data. And, you know, I came from doing this in cancer, where we spent, which is a very sophisticated disease with a lot of data, and it still wasn't done it to a point where it was easy to harness the data and find what you were looking for. And we believe in mental health that without starting to bring this together, we are going to, we are going to start, we are going to continue to see problems in how diagnoses are happening, how people are going to be treated in terms of a lot of subjective I don't feel well versus here's real data that tells you how you're feeling, what you're doing, and what the benefits are. So we see this as as a beginning of a a big trend. Uh, We believe that, you know, the pharmaceutical industry needs to know this data to be able to come up with new treatments. We know that the insurance companies need this data to see if the reimbursement makes sense. And uh, do you really need to be on this drug or not? What's right medication? These things are very expensive. Everybody is looking for better data to make better decisions and, and and mental health has been lagging other other parts of the body. Pratik Dravetti, CEO of Behave. Pratik, thanks so much for your time today. Thank you. Thanks for listening. The Bio Report is a production of the Levine Media Group. To automatically download this podcast each week, Subscribe to our RSS feed or through iTunes or other podcast manager. To join our mailing list, go to levinemediagroup.com. We'd love to hear from you. If you want to drop us a line or are interested in sponsoring this podcast, send email to danny at levinemediagroup.com. Special thanks to Jonah Levine, who composed our theme music, and the Jonah Levine Collective, which performs it.